0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Mother Daughter Team, Dr. Gloria, and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is coping with pregnancy and infant loss, and our guest is Monica Novak. Following the stillbirth of her daughter, Miranda, in 1995, Monica joined a support group which included six women who had had also lost babies to miscarriage, stillbirth, and infant death. The women quickly bonded and began the journey through grief and trying to get pregnant again. Monica chronicles their journey of healing and friendship in her book, The Good Grief Club. The women are still friends today and have turned their pain into a new way of living, giving back by helping other bereaved parents. The Good Grief Club is available from Inqwell Productions and on the Share National Pregnancy and Infant Loss website, www.nationalshareoffice.com, and the at Comcast.net. Welcome to the show, Monica.
1: Thank you, Heidi. Good morning. Thank you, Gloria.
2: Good morning, Monica. It's great to have you on the show, and and what an important topic we're covering today. I mean. It's it's so prevalent, and uh, people don't uh, oftentimes don't talk about the uh, pregnancy and infant loss. So uh, even though it's very much in their hearts, mm-hmm. could you talk a little bit, starting out uh, for our audience, about your own experience? Um, in
1: 1995, I was pregnant with my second child. My husband Al and I had a two-year-old daughter with us at home already, and this second pregnancy had been textbook case, no problems, um, pretty much sailed through it. And on the night before my due date, I was sitting in the rocking chair eating my ice cream as I did every night, and I noticed that the baby hadn't moved. And this was usually her very active time of day. And so I laid down on the couch and, and tried changing positions and began to poke and prod at my belly And there was just absolutely no response at all. Mm -hmm. And I began to get very nervous, of course. And finally, with encouragement from my husband, called the doctor, um, to make a long story short, drove myself to the hospital, leaving my husband home with our two-year-old daughter. And after 15 minutes of the nurses trying to find a heartbeat with no success, my doctor came in, uh, turned on the ultrasound machine, and... We had our answer. He looked down at me and said, there's no heartbeat. Oh,
2: what a and it was
1: the most shocking thing that could have ever happened. You don't go through a perfect pregnancy right. ever expecting that the day before your due date, somebody's going to tell you that suddenly your baby has died with no warning, with no chance for you to do anything about it. And suddenly the baby that you were ready to bring home, um, is not coming home with you and you have to plan a funeral.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, what what a tragedy! What a, a, a shock! Oh, awesome. And I'm sure a lot of our audience out there are identifying with this right now.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, um, having or or the miscarriage part of it.
1: Absolutely. Too. And you mentioned earlier the statistics on stillbirth and infant death, um, but also um, there are approximately nine hundred thousand babies lost in miscarriage every year. Wow. And I've come to know through my experience that women who lose babies in miscarriage can grieve just as deeply as I did losing a full-term baby. Mm -hmm. So you cannot put a timeline on that and say, well, because you lost your baby at three months and I lost mine at nine months, my grief is that much deeper than yours. That's not true at all.
2: Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a difference? How did your husband respond? Is there a difference between the way the mom responds when when she finds out in utero than the husband? I was thinking about those hormonal issues and things that have got to kick up there. Uh,
1: I believe so, and I can only speak from my own experience. Obviously, I was the one that had carried that baby and felt every movement from that baby, felt responsible for the nourishment of the baby and the health of the baby. My husband grieved deeply as well, but I think it was a different experience for him. I think he was witnessing it from the outside, whereas I was feeling it literally from the inside out. Mm-hmm. and I think his grief also was compounded because he you know, felt like he needed to take care of me and our daughter, and mm-hmm. I could only focus on the baby inside me. And, and, and
0: Monica, I just needed to ask you, I know we're kind of going in a different direction, but...
1: Did they ever find out why your daughter died the day before her due date? Yes, we did, actually. We knew as soon as we delivered her. Um, we went in uh, for surgery to do a C-section because I had already had a C-section. And so we knew within hours, as soon as the doctor pulled the baby out, we saw the knot mm. that had been tied in her umbilical cord oh, wow. and had pulled tight. Wow. And so there was no reason for us to do an autopsy at that point right. because it was clear that that knot had cut off the circulation. Mm-hmm. But that isn't always the case. I believe the statistic is that 50% of stillbirths have absolutely no medical explanation at all. Wow,
2: that's And amazing. so those
1: parents have to go through another pregnancy if they're fortunate to get pregnant again, not really knowing what happened the first time and dealing with the fear. I wanted to talk a little bit about... Getting Pregnant
2: Again After the Loss of a
1: Child, and I think that kind of
2: segues us into your book, too, mm-hmm. um, where you were uh, getting to be friends with six women and uh, write about it in your book that you're, these folks will be able to read about later. But mm-hmm. tell me about how did you get together with the group and, and what do you think group does for people?
1: Uh, I was fortunate enough that the group, which is called SHARE, uh, was actually being held at the hospital where I delivered Miranda.
2: And, by the way, you can they have a website also, SHARE, right?
1: Yes. Do you want yes. to give that? Um, SHARE is a national organization. They've been around for 30 years, and they are specifically a, a support organization for pregnancy and infant loss. Their website is nationalshareoffice.com, and they are wonderful people with wonderful resources, not only for bereaved families, but also for the people who are caring for those bereaved families. And so I was lucky enough that one of their local chapters, they have about 85 chapters throughout the country, and I believe two international uh, groups. And one of the groups was at the hospital where I delivered, and so the nurses were able to refer me directly to that group. Interestingly, several of, of the people that attended that group and all six of my friends had actually delivered at other hospitals throughout the area but we're referred to share through one person or another.
2: So great that there's an organization like that. I know many, many years ago, um, probably 75.
0: 1975 um, or 75 years ago?
2: 75 years ago, my, oh, okay. my um, husband, my, my mother-in-law delivered a baby. That had the cord wrapped around its neck, mm-hmm. and in that day and age, they didn't even, she didn't even get to see the baby. Right. And you know, I knew her years later, and she still talked about how everyone had told her it was a perfect baby, mm-hmm. and she never was able to hold it. It was a term. Mm-hmm. It was at, you know, she went through it, the cord wrapped around during delivery. So it's just amazing um, what people need and what's out there now. A, a resource like Cher is amazing. So you got you went to their meeting and mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that for our audience. Is it ever it, say, my, I lost, you know, the baby a year ago. Is it too late to go to Share?
1: Oh, never! In fact, in the back of my book, um, the epilogue is a story of a woman who had lost her twin son, one of one of her sons, um, 30 years ago. And like you said, at that time, uh, there weren't organizations around like Share. Hospital protocol was was really to encourage um, the mother not quite often, not to look at the baby or hold the baby, um, not to bury the baby, not to give the baby a name, and pretty much just pretend like it never happened. And mm-hmm. so there are so many families who are still holding that grief with them 30 years later. And so this particular woman had held this grief in for 30 years, um, suffered from depression for 30 years, even though she still had the living son, but she was grieving for the, the twin son. And when her own son lost his triplet daughters, her grief then resurfaced. Mm
0: -hmm. Now
1: she was grieving for her three granddaughters and for the son that she lost 30 years earlier. So she and her son and her daughter-in-law began going to the same share group that I went to. And 30 years later, she's finally on a road to healing. So it's never, ever too late to seek help.
2: Absolutely. Isn't that fascinating how things come up from that, Heidi, from, from past losses? I was just losses. thinking
0: that. I mean, sometimes when we don't address our own losses, a, a new loss will trigger that, and we'll wonder why we're reacting so large. And usually we're grieving, like Monica said, two losses. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and to recognize that is, is mm-hmm. kind of an amazing thing, and to be able to yeah. come in and do that. We'll talk a little bit about... Uh, for us about these uh what's going on now in the medical community you know with all these uh infertility issues and and mm-hmm. people having in vitro and all those and multiple births and mm-hmm. um you know there's a, a lot going on in the medical community that almost is giving us i would guess almost more the technology is giving us probably more miscarriages and i would think infant loss yeah. I, I, you know
1: You're actually you're very correct. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's happening in doing my research is that we have two factors that are contributing to the increase in pregnancy and infant loss in this country. The first factor is that women are beginning to have their families later in life. And so you have more women becoming pregnant in their 30s and 40s, and unfortunately the miscarriage rate for these women is slightly higher. So you're seeing an increase there, and then because of the fertility technology available, you're seeing more and more families seeking that technology, which is putting them in a high-risk category for multiple births, which in then is putting them in a higher risk for loss, unfortunately. And so even though we're able to save babies that are being born shortly after 20 weeks, where 10 years ago that was pretty much not happening, um, but you have more and more people in that category. So... Uh, there are higher incidences of loss now.
2: Mm-hmm. Heidi, um, yeah, I know you were, I was talking to you earlier, and you said that you were willing to um, deal, talk about your experience a little bit for our audience. Do yeah, I mean, we, we
0: actually did a show where I was a guest in a, you know, a couple of years ago um, talking about my own infertility and miscarriages. But I had secondary infertility, which um, many of you may know is when I, I had a child, But then when I went to get pregnant the second time, I couldn't. And I tried for a few years, and then I did a lot of infertility um, and a couple of surgeries, and I finally got pregnant. And it was so amazing because it had taken two and a half years to get pregnant. And
2: I and how did you feel when you found out you were pregnant?
0: I I couldn't believe it. I was thrilled. And, and, you know, I I couldn't believe it had finally happened because I had tried so hard and gone through so much. I mean, you almost feel like you're terminally ill when you're going through infertility because you're being poked and prodded and blood is being drawn, and it's, you're, it's very medical. So when I, it finally happened, I was so thrilled, and then I miscarried. It, it was in my first trimester. Um, towards the end of it, I miscarried, and um, it was devastating because, you know, I had planned my whole future with this child that I just conceived and had his, this child's whole life planned out. My son was going to have a sibling, and so, you know, I grieved for my future, basically. hmm Um, and for the baby that I lost, but for my future. And then I went a couple of, I think it was a year later, no, it was six to eight months later, I got pregnant again, and I was very thrilled. Um, Were you a little more cautious then and scared? I was totally very, very anxious and very nervous because they weren't sure why I had miscarried. I mean, they weren't really positive. So, um, yes, I was really, really nervous and very cautious. And how old were you? Um, oh, you're giving away my age here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that gives away mine, too.
0: <laughs> I was I was what they call advanced maternal age. And okay. what Monica said, we're having our children later, so I was 40 years old. Uh-huh. And, uh, and started infertility at 39. And I've got to tell you, when I was 38 years old, I went to my doctor and said, you know what, I'd like to get pregnant. And he said, and I quote, Heidi, you're young. You have plenty of time. Don't, you'll get, you'll get, I, and I've been wait, I've been trying for a year, and it's not happening. He goes, it'll happen eventually. It And, you know, I think in hindsight at that point I should have gotten a little more aggressive about moving forward with, with infertility because 38, you know, you are
1: getting up towards 40, and it's harder to get pregnant.
2: So, Monica, you heard Heidi's story. Yes. Does that sound familiar?
1: It does. I didn't go personally through infertility, but... In my case, my first two pregnancies had happened um, very quickly. I was able to conceive very quickly. And then after Miranda died and I began trying to conceive again, I assumed it was going to happen quickly. And then month after month, it didn't happen, and it didn't happen, and it didn't happen. And I was basing my entire future on getting pregnant again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know that that's what every bereaved mother does, but in my case... I wasn't going to be happy again until I had a baby in my arms. Did you
0: feel that way, Heidi? Absolutely. Alexander was going to have a sibling. I mean, I've devoted my whole life to sibling loss, Mm -hmm. and I miss my brother so much. And here I had a son who was wonderful, and I wanted him to experience a sibling like I had. So come hell or high water, I was going to get, I I was bound and determined that was my job. I was going to have a
1: child one way or another. And that's how I felt, too. I wanted a sibling for my two-year-old daughter so Mm -hmm. much. And I, I, you know, every month, like I said, I kept trying and trying. And it took me a year uh, before I finally got pregnant. And then six weeks later, I had an early miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And that was just another devastating blow. It was yeah. like a slap in the face that after all I had been through, mm-hmm. how could I be going through this again?
2: Before we get to that question, uh, I think you've got an email for
0: us, right? Oh, yes. Let me find it. Mm-hmm. Um it's somewhere.
2: We'd love to get your emails, by the way. And again, as I said, if you will, um, go into thegriefblog.com and uh, uh, ask us a question in there. We would be glad to personally answer it on the radio show.
0: Okay, um, here's the email. I found it. It says, Dear Dr. Gloria, Dr. Heidi, and Monica, thank you so much for doing a show on pregnancy and infant loss. I have had three miscarriages in the past two years, and people keep saying things like, well, at least you know you can get pregnant. And don't worry, you'll eventually get pregnant. These statements are very invalidating. I'm discouraged. What do I say to these people? Wow, isn't isn't that is is thats such a temptation to say that? Three, oh, you can get pregnant
2: again. You've got pregnant all three times. Time. Oh, wow,
0: yeah.
1: oh, so yeah. common.
0: Yeah.
2: What do you say to these people, Monica?
1: Well, I I did receive some comments like that. Somebody said to me, "Well, maybe it was for the best." Mm-hmm. And I said, "No, it was not for the best." She was a perfectly perfect healthy baby and i wanted that baby and in the case of miscarriage people really don't understand because they never saw the baby they didn't hold the baby and in their mind that wasn't a baby but to a mother that was a baby Mm -hmm. and that was like heidi you said that was your whole future
0: right
1: and you grieve that loss just as deeply and so i think what you need to say to people is that was my baby, and I missed that baby, and I loved that baby already. I had already bonded with that baby, and I wanted that baby.
0: If that's great, isn't it, Heidi? Just do it straight up? And, and, right, and, and absolutely a response like that is wonderful, and just validating people's loss and say, I'm so sorry for the loss of your child. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry that you had to go through this. You know, people kept guaranteeing me that I would eventually have a child. They didn't, they're not psychic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and and you know they had no had no idea if that was going to happen. And in my case, it didn't happen. I do have a daughter now, and I went and adopted her from China a year and a half ago. And I knew when I held her, she was the daughter I was always meant to have. And our kids come to us in many different ways. So for some people, they may not get pregnant again or carry to full term again. We don't uh-huh. know. That's
2: right. So so just uh,
0: to our friend, what was her name again,
2: Heidi? Anne. To Anne, we want to say, do it straight up. I, I love that, Monica, where you just say, that was my baby. I love my baby. Yeah.
0: And I miss her, and I'm grieving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm grieving
2: for her. I think mm-hmm. that, that's I like a, that. a lovely way to put it. Well, l- uh, let's get to that question I was asking Monica and Heidi. Did you feel, we'll start with Monica, did you feel your body let you down when you had, how do you feel when you have a miscarriage?
1: I think this is a, a personal response because I think everybody feels differently. Mm-hmm. I did feel let down but I felt more let down in a spiritual sense. I guess for me personally, I felt like God had let me down more than my body. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew I could get pregnant, and I knew that I could carry a baby to term, and so I, I couldn't understand why this was being allowed to happen to me. I didn't feel like this was being done to me, but I felt like this was being allowed to happen, and that's what I really grappled with. But I do know, you know several of my friends felt completely betrayed by their bodies, Mm-hmm. and did put a lot of blame on their, well, Dawn, as Dawn put it, she had lost triplets. One of the
2: ladies in your book. One
1: of the, my friends, she had lost triplets, and she had blamed her loss on her faulty fibroid body, as she called it, because she had been dealing with fibroids. Mm-hmm. That's what I dealt with also. Mm-hmm.
0: And I felt the same way as Dawn. Yeah, um, I had to talk about that. Honey. I definitely felt like my body had let me down. I felt that I must be at fault. I Maybe it was the Diet Coke I had, or maybe it was, yeah. you know, I went through all these scenarios. I didn't have enough folic acid. What did I do wrong? Um, and and, it, and you could also not even know you're pregnant, say I have a glass of wine yeah, or that, something, and that, think, well, that was it. Sure. Mm-hmm. Now, and I know with, in your case, uh, Monica, the first, you did, go through a completely healthy and normal pregnancy until the very last day. And your baby was completely normal. He was
1: completely normal. Just a fluke. Right. It was an accident. It was just one of those things. Right. It was an accident. Now
2: whether it was a knot in the cord, did you question her? Did I turn over wrong or, you know?
1: No, I really, she had an exceptionally long umbilical cord, Mm. and I just felt like somehow earlier in the pregnancy she probably, must have done some type of acrobatic to get it twisted up into a knot. I really couldn't explain that.
2: Um, you know, I, people, I, I, people do things like falling down. I mean, people who don't want to be pregnant, I mean, do crazy things not to be pregnant. And, and, don't do and, and they don't lose the baby. Stuff. I mean, it's just who can, who can know? And w- I used to have this idea, and I know a lot of people in my age group did, that the baby probably wasn't normal anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not necessarily the case. No. And it's not helpful if somebody says that to you. Like you were saying, Monica, if someone says it was meant to be, that means something was wrong. Right. That invalidates and minimizes our loss. Right, yes. it does. And and for you folks out there who have heard those
2: kind of comments, we want to say we don't like them, we don't feel like they were right. It's too bad people are that ignorant and, uh, or, or lacking of knowledge or insensitive, I guess I should put, mm-hmm. and, and just uh, don't know. But I love the idea of Monica's just saying, that was my baby. Mm-hmm. And talk about the ultrasound, Heidi and Monica,
1: you know,
0: how we bond with these kids so early now. I'd love to hear from Monica because I know that she's done an ultrasound many times with Miranda.
1: <laughs> well, um, I didn't have any ultrasounds during Miranda's pregnancy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And one of the questions I kept asking myself after she had died was, what if we had done an ultrasound? Could we have prevented this? And that question haunted me for the next two years. Um, at work, a coworker. Found out about my knot as she was walking down the hallway behind me and just kind of blurted out, Well, when I was pregnant, we did an ultrasound and saw the knot in the umbilical cord and we delivered my baby and she was fine and then she breezed out the door.
0: Oh, jeez.
1: And uh, that was devastating to me because I had been asking that question. And my doctor at that time just didn't routinely do ultrasounds for a perfectly normal pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And so when I got pregnant one year later, after the miscarriage, then I became pregnant shortly after again with my daughter Casey. We, My doctor took me in for repeated ultrasounds. In fact, I think he was sneaking me into the ultrasound room mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, without the office manager knowing because I was just on pins and needles. It was a, a very scary pregnancy for me. I I knew there was nothing I could do to prevent another cord accident, but uh, he would take me in for those repeated ultrasounds. In the past, I had never wanted to know the sex of my baby, Mm -hmm. but this time I wanted to know everything about that baby from Mm -hmm. day one so I could get to know that baby. I found Mm -hmm. out I was having a girl, um, and we had many ultrasounds, and so I was able to not only feel her and hear her heartbeat, but see her on the screen. And so, okay. yes, you do bond with those babies very early on now. And,
0: and I bet you were really aware of when she was moving during that nine months, right?
1: I was aware of when she was moving, and I was aware of when she was not moving, right. which I, was, oh you know, it was wow. a blessing one moment and then a curse the next moment. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I know one of the ladies in your book, just to show how the bonding goes, actually sent an ultrasound picture of her baby out in her Christmas card. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Heidi, did. you you were saying that ultrasound uh, is so much more
0: sophisticated. It's amazing, um, as you know, Monica. What what you know, these baby, babies look like they look when they're born nowadays in ultrasounds. Mm-hmm. It's so three dimensional. It's so advanced. Mm-hmm. When you get these pictures, they really look like the kids. Yeah, you can
1: see the features quite it often. Depends.
2: So
0: an, amazing, amazing connections.
2: Well, I wanted to ask you, Monica. What are some of the myths and taboos regarding pregnancy loss?
1: I think probably one of the biggest ones that I came across, and I think my friends would agree with me, is that people in the, in the general public who haven't experienced this really don't expect you to grieve very long or at all for a baby that maybe you didn't see mm-hmm. or, or maybe they didn't see and, and didn't get to hold. And so they expect that because it was a, a, a being that was with you such a short amount of time, Uh, there's no grief involved, so you should be getting over it and back to normal fairly quickly, and that is absolutely wrong. There's a a very deep grief grief process going on here, and it can last for a very long time.
2: And you're hormonally prepared to have this baby.
1: Oh, absolutely. When my milk came in, Mm. thank God I was prepared for that, but Mm -hmm. some of my friends were not prepared for their milk to come in, so they were sent home from the hospital without Mm -hmm. their babies, And then their milk supply came in, and that was devastating Mm -hmm. to, to be producing milk for a baby that was never going to drink it. Yeah.
2: What about the taboos of talking about it? You know, I was reading your book, and, and I was saying to Heidi, that it seems to me that one of the issues about and by the way, I was reading a pre copy Monica was very nice to send me. The book will not be actually out and probably for a few months, but we'll have have it on our blog it's a, a wonderful book, very interesting, but one of the things that I felt about it was it could be. Difficult. People need to tell their stories and some of the details of having a premature baby or can be pretty graphic. Or a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Or a miscarriage can be pretty graphic for if people don't like to hear about. Um, body issues. It can be kind of graphic. So it's hard, I would think it might be hard for people to tell their story. Heidi and I are always saying that people need to tell the details of their story, Mm -hmm. the, the ones that really hurt. And sometimes those are connected, um, you know, with delivery issues that some people may not be able to hear about or may not want to hear about.
1: That's the beauty of the support group because you can go into a setting like a support group where there are other parents who have experienced the same loss. Many of them have had the premature babies or the very early uh, you know late trimester miscarriages, and know that they can not only talk about their babies but bring pictures. We have memory night usually once a year at the support group, where everybody can bring in any mementos they have. and quite frequently, these are Polaroid pictures mm-hmm. uh, or regular photos that were snapped of these babies uh, at a very early gestation. But every one of those babies is so beautiful not only to their parents but to every other parent in that room. And it's just so wonderful to see other people look at your baby and smile at your baby when you don't know if you can show those pictures to anybody else. Not even sometimes your friends and your family. Mm-hmm. You know, you you may not feel comfortable showing those photos, but you know in a support group setting you can do that. And I, I would encourage people to show those photos and share about their baby with anybody who's close to them because you may be surprised um, at how much support you actually do get. You don't know until you try.
2: Mm-hmm. And you might ask somebody in advance, you know.
1: That's true. Can I
2: show you the photos? Yeah. That's
1: true. And But quite often I think people will realize that the photos maybe aren't as bad as they might be imagining Right. right. Uh, or as difficult to look at as they would imagine. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, and and I would say to our audience out there, if you haven't gone to a support group and you have details of the birth of this baby or of the miscarriage that you really, it's hard for the world to hear, go find a group, a support group. Go online, find Share. go to a compassionate friends group. Go somewhere where you can tell that story. I don't care if it's Mm -hmm. been three years, four years. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've had another relative die now and you're back ten years and mm-hmm. you know, maybe now's the time to go tell the story.
1: I was, I agree, because you could feel very isolated. Absolutely, and that was the number one emotion I would say that I felt um, shortly after Miranda's death was I felt so alone. Mm-hmm. And I had wonderful support from my family and friends, but I felt so alone. I didn't think that any of them could possibly fathom the pain that I was feeling mm-hmm. at that moment. And that support group became my lifeline because all of those people understood. And I would also recommend if you're going to find a support group, please try and give it at least two meetings, if not three. Mm -hmm. The first one is very emotional. You may not even be able to talk during your first meeting. And that's okay because most support groups are open and will allow you to just sit and listen. But I found that the second and the third meetings were much easier to go to. And... um, Uh So I would please encourage people not to stop after their first meeting.
0: Absolutely.
2: That's
1: what they say at Compassionate Friends meetings also. I hope you'll
2: think about um, your friends and family who've lost uh, and the people that you work with who've lost um, infants and had pregnancy loss and and how meaningful it is. This has certainly come into play for me. Um, We were just talking during break about the fact that um, I really have never thought about being a grandparent and grieving the loss of uh, Heidi's two pregnancy losses. Do you want to talk about um, grandparents a little bit, Monica?
1: sure. Um, When Miranda died, I was grieving so intensely, but I also knew that my parents were grieving. In fact, they came to the hospital and they held her um, alone in a room, but then we ended up bringing Miranda into my room because I wanted to hold her again. And so my parents sat by my side and as we held her, we all cried together. Mm -hmm. And I I knew how deeply hurt. My parents were also by the loss of their grandchild, but also they were grieving for me, for my Mm -hmm. loss. And so it was a double, really a double grieving for them. And for many months, I couldn't talk to my mother about my grief because I knew how much she was hurting and I knew we would just fall apart. And Mm -hmm. I was too vulnerable to put myself in that position. And so my mom knew that I was going to a support group here in the Chicago suburbs, but she lived in Indiana and tried to find a support group to go to, but there just weren't any grandparent support groups available. She did go to a couple of groups for parents, but she said she didn't quite feel like she fit in, although they were very welcoming to her, and I would still encourage somebody to seek that out if that's all that's available. But she really wanted to find a group of grandparents that she could talk with and I don't think that she ever did. And, and eventually, as our pain subsided and we began the healing process on our own, we could finally come together and start to talk about Miranda a little bit.
2: Now, I want to say that Compassionate Friends uh, is for grandparents, siblings, and parents. So, And I, I believe uh, brief Parents USA, too, mm-hmm. do they? Um, but I can understand. Uh...
1: There is a group for grandparents. I.
2: Alliance of grandparents, I noticed you have this in your book a wonderful uh uh support area for pregnancy loss in your book
1: mm-hmm. uh
2: that alliance of grandparents is that what you were talking about
1: um i don't i'm not sure what it's called, but it on my website uh, that same resource section that will appear in the back of my book is on my website yeah I think
2: it's the alliance for grandparents
1: and, and there is a group just for grandparents so.
2: yeah, and I would suggest that you go to monica's website it's it's really an amazing website and it is uh, www.thegoodgriefclub.com
1: And you can also reach me uh, by email through going to my website if you have specific questions.
2: Mm-hmm. Do you want to give your uh, email? Uh,
1: my email is, well actually I have two that you can get to me by uh, the one that's on your blog, I believe is thegoodgriefclub at comcast.net mm-hmm. but you can also get to me by monica at the good grief Club. Dot com, Great. I believe. If you go to my website, it will hook you up to me. Well,
2: Monica, in your book you talk a little bit about uh, that losing uh, Miranda really taught you something. What did it teach you?
1: Oh, many, many things. Um, probably first and foremost was not to take anything for granted because mm-hmm. up it, up until that point in my life, things had gone pretty smoothly. Um, I had a wonderful husband, a, a beautiful daughter, and, and really had not experienced any type of tragedy in my life whatsoever. And so I just sort of expected that that's how my entire life was going to go. And, and I joke about it in the book that I felt like Marsha Brady. Um, my boyfriend had used to call me that. And, you know, everything was, I, I was leading a charmed life, is how I felt, and never anticipated that anything like this could happen. And so when this happened to me, I learned first to take, you know, stock of what you do have in your life, um, the wonderful people around you. Even if you don't have living children, there must be something wonderful that you can find to be grateful for. And then appreciate every moment that you possibly can with the people that you love or doing the things that you love to do or just the beauty of nature.
2: So taking care of yourself you 've appreciated things more. One thing I wanted to get back to quickly because um, I felt like I left it without finishing before we closed the show is that take care of your body take care it 's the body you 've got and and the feeling of let down that your body let you down um, somehow you need to um, love and appreciate your body is is what comes up for me. Do you have any thought about that, Heidi, because you felt that way
0: I, I agree with that, and also um, be good to yourself while you're grieving, because I'm thinking of all these women. Here they are grieving a loss, and they're trying to recover from a pregnancy and in many cases a delivery, and that's that's very difficult. Absolutely. Monica, do you have any any special thoughts on
2: yeah, that I, as I we close the
1: show? Uh, regarding that topic, yeah. taking mm-hmm. care of yourself, definitely ask for help,
0: mm-hmm. and when people
1: offer you help, please take it, because they genuinely want to help, and they may not know what to say to you, so you may receive help in the form of a dinner and they may not be able to say how sorry they are but they may be able to say it through food. So let them let them do that. Let people cook for you. Let people clean for you. Let people handle chores that you just can't deal with when you're grieving. And
2: uh, Monica, it's time for us to close the show and I want to thank you so much for being on and do you have any last comment before I read a little piece from your book, The Good Grief Club that will be at in a few months? Um,
1: I've just, I'm so grateful that you are having me on this show and, and bringing to light a topic that is out there and it's so important and so many people misunderstand it and I think I just want the world to know that you know if you're grieving, take care of yourself, love yourself and um, if, if you're with somebody who's grieving and you don't know what to say, just say I'm sorry mm. and, and give a hug and know that I, I hate to say this, with time it, it, it gets easier and it can, and for me it did. And, and my friends and I eventually found peace and happiness again, and we found true joy in our lives. And it took some time, but those friendships are what got us through.
2: Thank you, Monica. And I Thanks, wanted to read this from her book as we close the show. When a baby dies, we feel the absence of the child for the rest of our lives, yet we don't have to remain in grief. I believe our babies are whispering in our ears, let go of the pain, and be whole again. We're always with you. It's time to close your show now.
0: You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.